This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the University of Rhode Island Online, who are offering a cannabis certificate program. The legalization of recreational cannabis that went into effect last year can open doors for your career. If you are already in the industry or wondering what is the best path to break into the cannabis field, the University of Rhode Island has that program I just mentioned to help you become highly competitive in numerous areas of the cannabis industry. Fully accredited by URI's College of Pharmacy, their certificate program is 100% online and it can be completed in just two semesters. The next application deadline for the summer 2023 session is April 4th. Coming right up. Mark your calendars, right? Courses start May 9th. Learn more at uri.edu slash online slash cannabis or give them a call 401-874-5280. Hi, I'm John Hool. I'm a new Rhode Island author and I've owned a public relations and marketing company for 20 years called JH Communications, recently rebranded to Main Street Media. So you've got, uh, you know, you, you're involved in Rhode Island in a lot of interesting ways. I mean, like you said, your public relations side is, I mean, your name's not attached to it in terms of the public facing portion, but you're out there and you're, you know, you've been tied to a lot of interesting stuff in Rhode Island. So I guess where did, you know, how did you first get involved in all of this? Well, it's interesting. I'm usually, I, I just got off of a TV interview and they said the same thing to me. I've seen you here before. And I said, well, usually I'm behind the scenes. So I'm usually never front facing. I'm always behind and I'm always, you know, there to, and I've been to your radio station before to have guests on and, you know, I'll give, I'll be there for moral support. Um, So, but usually, and I do have a better face for radio and for audio. So (laughs) I thought I turned my, thought I turned my, volume off of my uh did you hear that did you hear that i didn't know actually i'm oh, good, good. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. At, okay at least i didn't know no, yes. i'm in my office and i'm hearing the um i thought i had muted the um the telephone well, well ad- adapting to this sort of i don't know what you call it it's remote sort of a convenient way to put it but there's a there's a simplicity that comes with working like for this show right here, working via Zoom. It used to be Mm -hmm. before the pandemic, every episode was in person. And I definitely miss that, you know, the Mm -hmm. whole face-to-face and the Mm -hmm. subject would arrive at my spot. But we are face-to-face. And, you know, um, I'm able to do, I was able to travel on Friday with the the launch of the book. And and previous to that, I would have never gone out of town. But um, I was able to have business meetings um, while I traveled from Zoom. So it, it's definitely been part liberating. And I can remember the early days, we talk about public relations, the, the earlier days when I was doing PR, just having, first, when I first got in, into PR, I had a pager, yeah. you know, in case there was like a, like a doctor had a pager, in case there was a PR emergency, right? right. And I would get paged. And, and then it became cell phones, right? And and we still obviously do that. But now, I, and I look at how the communication has evolved over the years. And, you know, now I get more text messages than emails and you got to stay with it. It's interesting. Yeah, it really is. It's something that, like you said, that convenience factor, I mm-hmm. definitely prefer to be in my studio to do a podcast. But if I'm on the road for something, we can still do it. And that's, that is liberating. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. So, so the book, The Kingmakers of Providence. The name jumps out at you, and I mean, you start. Was it my name? Was it my name? Oh, really? So, where did the name come from? Yep. Uh, publisher. Um, yep. In fact, and I haven't told anybody this. 
uh, in the press. Um, the original book was called Endgame, and then that became a movie. So I couldn't use that. And this is the, the whole evolution of this. This took me 20 years. Then I called it Silver Lake. And the book was set in the fictional city of Silver Lake, which, of course, was Providence. And it was the publisher that said, we believe that more books will sell in the Rhode Island market. So it's better to call it, have it set in Providence. And there was a line in the book where the main character, Henry, refers to someone as the kingmaker. He wants to be, he could be the kingmaker and or so-and-so else would be the kingmaker. And when they saw that, when they were doing the editing, they said, we think actually the book would be better to be called Kingmakers. And we went back and forth, whether it should be the, just the Kingmakers and then the tie in the Kingmakers problems. And it, there's a lot of these Shakespearean and, and religious overtones in it peppered throughout the book. It goes back to my you know, college days. And I took classes like Shakespeare's Political Wisdom. I was a poli-sci major. And so there's a lot of Shakespearean stuff in it. So like the whole idea of Providence, obviously a city, but Providence being God, you know, so it, it I like the Kingmakers of Providence. Um, obviously it's set here. And I, I originally though had wanted it to be representative of any middle-sized city that this is what a political campaign in any middle-sized American city is like. Mm. It just, it's very, we're probably a little bit more colorful than most, I would say. I would say so. And there's definitely some history here that kind of goes back about 20 years that, that mm -hmm. feeds that color. Talk about the, you know, without necessarily giving away the entirety of the book, you know, what, what is it about and where did you come up with the concept? So uh, truth be told, I was the political consultant on the 2002 mayoral race. And prior to that, I had worked on other state Senate, state rep races. Um, that was at the time the biggest race that I had been involved in. And then after that, I was uh, involved with secretary of state races and lieutenant governor races. And then um, I got out of politics. A lot of you'll see the evolution of the local political consultant. You either go down to D.C. and travel around the country in that world doing races. So you might do a um, congressional race in South Dakota. Um, yep. Or if you the other way is if you want to stay local, you just can't support yourself being a local political consultant. You go into PR. And so I went into PR. Um, so. I was involved in that race and I had always wanted to write and I had written before and I had toyed with other novels and I was, you know, single. I wasn't married at the time. I was 30 years old. Um, I got pretty burnt out after running the race and my guy lost. It was David Gliozzi. I represented him. He was a state senator from Providence, uh, had a real good shot. He ran against Joe Paolino and David Cicilline. It was a three-way race. And somewhere along the lines, I, I was thinking, wow, you know, what would happen if the guy running the race was somehow compromised? And, but he really loved his candidate. And he was jaded and disillusioned in politics because he'd been doing it for so long, kind of like I had gotten. But then this figure restored his belief in politics. But then what if the main character does something really stupid? And then 
he is given a choice to either save himself but throw the race but then he has to deal with the fact that he loves his guy he loves his candy and anyone who's been involved in the political process and i was interviewed by mike levesque a, a local political guy who was mayor of west warwick and and he he's kind of said it right too like if you're involved in it, it's all engrossing and you're in it. And like, it's like sports. And my former boss would describe it that way. It's like, it's the closest thing to being in sports because it's clear win or lose. Right. But so when you lose, you, you know, you, you know, what do you do? So I did what everyone would do. I fled and I went to Europe. And so that's <laughs> what my character does. Yeah. My mayor, instead of facing indictment, like our former mayor did, he flees. He happens to be on a cultural exchange in Ireland when in our Providence and Cork, Ireland are doing some sort of like joint sister city kind of thing. And he's with the Providence delegation and the Irish delegation is over here in Providence. And my mayor, Jack Donovan, who just happens to be hooked on cocaine. I don't know where I would get that from, <laughs> but he's hooked on cocaine and he's running a criminal enterprise. And the reason he's running the criminal enterprise is because he's an addict and he needs to fund, he needs money. And he's as gregarious, larger than life character, but he gets tipped off that when he is going to land in Boston, he's going to get indicted. So and now if you're told that, what would you do? Would you fly over and fight it? But if you're already on the lam, would you maybe risk it? So he has a cousin over in Ireland who happens to work for the IRA, smuggles him out of Ireland, and he ends up in Prague. And that's where I went. So when I lost the Providence mayoral race, I left and I went to Paris, but ultimately to Prague. Now, why Prague? Because one of my buddies that I went to BC with was um, – was an expatriate over there and he was working for an English language newspaper. He was an editor. He's now works for the AP in, uh, in Bangkok of all places now. And so um, he hooked me up with his friends and I stayed over there for a few weeks and I said, I'm going to go finish the great American novel. And that's what I tried to do. Really interesting. And look, let's be honest about it. You know, the CNC lore is, it's equal parts fascinating and character oriented and somewhat embarrassing. But when it's when it's looked at through a more creative lens or through, you know, an interpretation, it's a lot easier to appreciate just the phenomenon that actually took place in Providence. How about without- a Shakespearean tragic hero lens? Totally. When you think yeah. about it, you know, I mean we were talking about this, you know, he was talked about as a possible vice presidential candidate. And I mean, he had such talent and in, in, and by the way, he did really, I mean, he had a, I mean, we're talking about him today. Right. So, but from a literary perspective, certainly, and not just him, but certainly the whole state provides plenty of inspiration. Yeah. As a whole, for sure. I mean, I think Rhode Island politics is it's I've heard from people in other places, whether it's on a citywide level or on even a statewide level, that a lot of what we zero in on here 
as the driving themes of Rhode Island politics that either make you roll your eyes or laugh or whatever it is. They happen in other places. It's just that because we're this condensed city state, yeah, those yeah. scenes, if you will, those those um, you know, those stories get amplified, and the impact is so much greater, and it's so much more theatrical in a way. And you know, a lot of uh, one book I loved um, that is similar to this is the Last Hurrah, and it was based on the whole political machine in Boston. And how that whole and then and that's how I talk about in the opening of my book, the old political machine. And when I first was involved in politics, I saw that and it changed. Like I, I was there when they slept ward captains and they ran things all locally and literally who and we would do these we would do these um, events at senior centers and whoever had the best pasta could win that senior center. <laughs> or, right. or we had like I mean, we did ice cream socials and yeah, but but that was like the old school way we did things and and then i saw and i was there as part of it where that started to transform and it's all big money now you know because of the cost involved of running and so now yes. you know that's that's what i think has been the big shift definitely you can see it in this congressional race that we have emerging here in rhode island where Look, you know, there are candidates that are lining up that on paper from a representation standpoint would be excellent. The question is, will they even be able to raise a quarter of the dollars that would be required to even be remotely competitive? In fact, you can make an argument the entire Republican Party in Rhode Island is subject to that, where there's almost no traction because the fundraising apparatus is just not there. And look, you know, it, it creates the dynamic that we have in the state, whether that's something that you're in favor of or or it's something that you are opposed to. It's reality. And I say that actually in my book, in the opening chapter, and in this is a Henry Mercutio, the main character is kind of going through that. He's running a gubernatorial race. And and he says to himself, he, he he's like, talking about what we just talked about where how things have changed and it was like a bygone era he's at a funeral of a local uh political boss and everyone comes out you know the the jack donovan characters there because he 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 will not miss an event even though it's for a democratic um a ward boss but where you know he talked henry mentions he says he knows where things have changed and he has the check for a hundred thousand dollars in his pocket going over to the local tv station for the ads are going to run in the final days and he says you know he kind of misses the bygone era of where the local politicians were judged by what they delivered for their community now i'm sure it was as corrupt and and had all kinds of other things going on. So I don't want to try to create like the the era of the crime, the the ward bosses and and that era was so much better than where it is today. It's just different. Yeah. No, it's 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 a that's a really accurate assessment, I think. So with the book, what's the what's the rollout like? Where can people find it? I mean, that's kind of a, it's like an obvious question these days. It's like saying, where can you find a podcast or music? It's like, well, yeah. the places that everybody goes. But but where where can people find you as well if they want to engage with you in person? Sure. Um, so we had a launch a couple of weeks ago and I had I've had uh, 
400 hard copies before the book was released and I'm down to uh, a little under 200 now, probably like 150 in my office. And I'm using those for events that I go out to. And um, I've got an event actually at a senior center, believe it or not, actually an independent assisted living. Uh, I'm sorry, let me get that right. Uh, a independent uh, senior retirement community. And I'm speaking to their men's group at their luncheon, and I'll have some books available to them. And um, I had the launch. So I literally go out and speak to groups. I speak to the Warwick um, Rotary Club later this month. And so that's how you kind of do the retail. It's almost like politics. It's like the retail face of politics. Authors today, unless you're, you know, someone famous, literally have to go out to bookstores and do signings and do appearances. And that's how they get their books sold. Um, The other side is what's called through the trades and I'm doing that. And so that's where the publisher comes in. Um, You can buy the book on Amazon. Uh, You can buy it on Barnes and Noble. Uh, and you can buy it through the publisher himself. And then we're working on getting it into the local bookstores. And that's where the signings and things like that come in. Um, and we were talking about at the beginning about how, um, well, before we went on the air, about how, you know, you Google your name, you see all the places you can buy the book. And there's some of them are in foreign languages. And, you know, I, that was shocking to me when I went and saw that, that you can buy it in Germany, you can buy it in Australia and things like that. And I never even knew that was possible. <laughs> so the so world is the, flat as Thomas Friedman once yeah, said, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, and, um, I, uh, built a website since I'm in marketing and, uh, John my name, uh, you can buy it there. Uh, and you know, I will sign anybody's book who buys it through there, re- who reaches out to me through that website. They want to buy the book. I will sign it for them. You know, as someone who's at the intersection of, I guess, the public relations industry and and modern ways of content distribution in this era where TikTok is huge and people are consuming 7, 10, 15, maybe 30 second videos in an era where, you know, as a musician, you've got like 20 seconds maybe to grab someone's attention with a song. And if you don't, then you're just going down the memory hole. And at the intersection of that knowledge and that sort of the nature of the beast and being an author, someone who has studied the classics and understands, you know, the ins and outs of of writing a book because you've done it now multiple times. What is where is is literature going? What a broad question, but is it going to grow or or is it going to be? It is. is. No, no. You would think, right, that. Uh, ebooks are the rage, right? That everybody that you don't even publish books. I mean, I put my first print run was a thousand hardcover books. Okay. I was on an airplane last night and I looked around and I saw people have books Mm -hmm. and young people have books because we're in front of screens for so much. There's still something to hold a book and read a book. So books are not going away. Just like music, it's not going away. Yeah. Um, so I, and my publisher told me this because, you know, I, people have asked me, oh, so when, when I want an audio book. So I asked my publisher, when are we doing the audio book? He said, we can do an audio book, but let me just tell you how much it costs to do. And, and like, and I said, well, I'll read it. 
And he said, well, a lot of where the audiobooks are going is you have famous people read them now. And right. John, you're, you're, you're not famous. You're a new author. Um, but people don't read. I mean, the audiobooks, they listen to them. But still, the number one way people read books are hardcover and paperback books, yeah. physical books. So I don't think that's changing. I think it's been around for thousands of years. Um, in fact, I always argue with my graphic designers that the written word is meant to be black on white, black ink on white background. Okay. We, the Bible was written that way, Shakespeare, we're used to that. So I don't think that's going away anytime soon, but it's hard to grab people's attention. Um, so the marketing of the book has to be, in fact, we did, we've done 15 seconds, 30 seconds, minute videos, and 15 seconds seems to be the magic number. Yeah. Probably just, seven and a Yeah. 15. I was just going to ask that if that's something that, cause I, you know, I wonder if that's something that is going to continue to grow. I know for sure with podcasting and radio that, you know, you, you see clips of podcasts and I don't do it so much here on Bartholomew town. I do it a little bit, but um, partially because our episodes aren't three hours long, like some hmm. some podcasts are, you know, we're closer to 20, 30 minutes, usually a Rhode Island car ride, as I call it. But <laughs> some of the long form three hour shows, their short clips are going to outperform vastly outperform the, the yeah. long form episode. And I wonder if in literature, a similar type of uh, approach is going to yeah. happen where you're like, Hey, you yeah. know, I got someone's attention for 15 seconds. I wouldn't have gotten them at all for a full book. Does that count as a reader? So interesting. So my chapters are all about 10 pages. Okay. And it was because I still have to do my day job. Right. And so someone was asking me earlier, well, how do you have the time? Well, I said, I really enjoy this, this is my hobby. So I might write three pages. I wrote, I was away for the weekend with my wife and I wrote, I've written five, wrote five pages over the weekend. So I'm halfway through a chapter. So I conclude the idea when I end for the afternoon or the morning, every chapter is 10 pages. And I've heard from readers that have already read the book. They like the 10 pages because they can get through 10 pages before they go to bed or they feel a sense of accomplishment. And as a reader, I felt the same way. I'm like, I don't like these long, long chapters. Same thing with my book. It turns out, and this was not planned, but I just finished the second book and I've started the third. They're each about 300, three and a quarter pages long. The It's going to end up being a trilogy and it's going to be about 900 and something pages. Maybe it's a thousand pages, but it's in three parts, easy to in broken out into 10 pages each. So easy to digest. And maybe what, what's happening is that's how you get through to people, make it easier for them. So I, I, I that just kind of came as part of the process of it. Yeah, that's really, it's, it's really, it's terra incognito in a lot of ways right now for longer form arts of any sort. And it's in the, the visual arts going to a gallery do you make it through a whole show or how do you how do you digest that it's in literature it's in music it's in film it's everywhere and i think you're right though my instinct is that people sometimes will say oh radio's dying you know and i'm like no it's not it's you know what's not dying is content is not dying yeah. okay it's that's the key 
Um, if you have, I, I listened to your your radio station on the way in this morning. I'll be listening to it later because I want to hear local Rhode Island political content. And I want to hear what the local, so it, it wouldn't matter if that were in a podcast or if it were on broadcast radio, doesn't matter. It's the content. Content is king. Yes, absolutely. The Kingmakers of Providence, it is, uh, it's available wherever you get books. And you probably know those places by now. If you don't, I'm sure Amazon and so on and so forth. It's it's right there. And, uh, you know, check out the website. Really interesting stuff. You know, I have to get my I, I have to get a copy. Admittedly, we have a copy that uh, I believe is in Dan York's possession. So I need to uh, maybe I need to break into his house and get it. I will. Uh, I will have a copy over to you. Uh, you going into the station? Oh, yeah. I'll be there every afternoon. I'm there. Yep. All right. So it'll be waiting for you. Awesome. 